everybody. This is this is Sophie Christopher from the China Business Forum. Now today we've got Obidai Aiton and he's from the uh, Private Wealth Group and he's based in the UAE. And Obidai Aiton is also host of Mandate Monday, uh, which he started about 12 months ago now, which was in November in the lockdown. And he's also one of the founders of Unite. So uh, look him up on uh, LinkedIn and you can also Google him. So that's Obidai Aiton uh, from the Private Wealth Group. Now today, um, we're going to be talking to Obi uh, about the Gulf trading relationship um, is set to outstrip the advanced economies uh, by 2013. So the Gulf, uh, the GCCE, which is the Gulf Corporation Council, uh, saw growth in trade with the immersion Asian markets in contrast to a slowing of trade with advanced economies. So the GCC's economic diversification strategy um, is a process of shift, shifting from a single income, which is oil and gas, towards multiple sources from a growing range of sectors like uh, things like media, tourism, manufacturing, commercial, aviation, that sort of thing. Obidai, what lessons can be learned uh, from the UAE who has successfully diversified its economy? Um, from the last time that I looked at the official numbers, it was between 70 and 75 percent. Yes, so it's, um, no, first of all, thank you very much for uh, having me on. Um, as always, it's a pleasure. Um, but yeah, when, I, I guess to, to, to start off answering your, your, your more broader question, um, I mean, the GCC, obviously the Gulf Corporation Council is split up between Kuwait, uh, Qatar, Bahrain, uh, Oman, uh, the UAE and Saudi Arabia. Now, the good thing about most of these countries is they have very key ports. So when it comes to trade with Asia, I mean, RC points directly to uh, the southern part of Asia, and more the emerging cities of Asia, I would call them, places like um, Jakarta in Indonesia, uh, obviously you have Singapore, you have uh, parts of Thailand, um, and, and, and other kind of southern parts of, of Asia in general. Um, I mean, you could look at India, you could look at uh, Bangladesh and, and other parts, but my point here is the, the sovereigns here in the GCC understand that southern part of Asia and also well really Asia as a whole is still a I would call it a developed emerging market um, so in in places it's developed um, and it's spreading quite fast population uh, is is obviously a, a huge factor I mean for us in the UAE we only have nine million population and, and across Asia you have multiple billions and it's only a three four hour flight or a a couple days on a on a, uh, on, on a vessel. Um, so my point is, when it comes to the GCC having better relationships, and especially when it comes to trade with Asia, that's top of its, really top, well, top of our agenda here. And the same goes for Africa. Now this week, actually, the, 
Abu Dhabi government committed 40, or was it, no, sorry, 32 billion um, US dollars to um, Jakarta and the Indonesian government. And that was for things like uh, vaccine rollout, manufacturing distribution. That was anything in the logistics sectors, the ports. Um, that was looking at floating solar panels with our big renewable energy company here called Mazda. Um, that I think the, 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 the agreement was also on artificial intelligence around smart city initiatives, telecommunications, uh, genomics uh, laboratories. So a lot of different things are coming up. I mean, if you look at the key sectors of where trade is happening, I've just listed a bunch. So smart city initiatives, telecommunications, uh, genomics laboratories, um, and then, of course, other things, commodities, and uh, as I said, things like uh, health and, and vaccine and manufacturing distribution. So really to summarize your question and a bit of an opening summary, um, Yes, there's a huge increase. It, it's really developed since the pandemic because we've looked closer to home than before. Um, we've looked, uh, as I said, at the southern parts of Asia and then growing into Middle Asia. And we've looked at Africa as well as India. So all those kind of three continents are on our doorstep. And what we're doing every day is trying to identify uh, where, when, and also what industry. Um, and I can. it's safe to say that uh, a lot is being done and, and a lot of new relationships are being formed. Okay, well, thank you very much for that. Um, a good, uh, a, a good I just really wanted to um, further elaborate on that question as to what role um, do you feel that family offices have played a part in that increased trade relationship, especially in the emerging markets? No, no, very good question again. And um, it's public and private sector. So in different markets, there's not a strong relationship. I would say in Europe, the public and the private sector don't really work that close to each other. I mean, we've got COP26 going on at the moment, and a lot of it's around the private sector's involvement in climate change and why they never get, out, uh, get involved and why they're too profit hungry. I guess the good part of, the, uh, part of this region um, is that public, public and private sector work very closely. So when it comes to looking at international markets and let's say creating relationship with, with Asia, especially from this part of the world, the public sector will tend to open up certain initiatives or they'll open up an agreement. So let's look at, take the example, if we all stick into the Google bar, uh, the recent relationship between the UAE and Indonesia, you'll see that there are many different sectors that they're going to be focusing on. And what the government will do, they'll allow the, the families of this region, the private sector, to back um, some of those initiatives. Maybe it's the development in smart cities. Uh, maybe it's the rollout of medical infrastructure. So it's kind of like a group package. And for, for us in the private sector, the government perform, I guess, a level of security. I mean, they've probably signed a 25-year contract. And then a lot of those contracts are now insured by the local government, which allows the private sector to be incentivized, knowing that there is going to be demand, consumers, profitability on any investments made within that trade relationship. So really, the, the, the private sector play a key role with a lot of these things. I mean, to give you an example, um, I had a uh, Asian uh, solar business come over and meet me this week. 
to discuss a local JV here. Number one, because they believe they can get cheaper power, which means they can obviously charge more and make more money on the infrastructure built here um, to, uh, and well, I guess really just make bigger margins. And they're also, they understand that this market needs those level of expertise. We're not huge producers or builders of solar. Yes, we use solar, but we're not huge producers. So that trade is already starting to happen naturally in the private sector, private businesses entering this market and vice versa. And for us, um, we get those early look-ins and those early opportunities to, to invest in some of these younger businesses um, that can be very disruptive. And we also then get the opportunity to then sell. Once we get it up and running, we can sell it back to the government. Um, so rather than the government getting involved first, we actually would then say, okay, we'll take on the risk. We'll build out the renewable or the solar uh, joint venture. Um, we'll get some revenues going and some contracts, and then we're going to sell it to the government. So there's a lot of push and pull relationships. And as I said, especially when it comes to the, the GCC, uh, you're going to see that a lot, especially across this country, which is different to other markets. Yeah. So my questions, uh, my second question to you then, Obidai, um, following on from that, so um, is the Gulf states and the emerging, uh, especially the emerging Asia, have accelerated significantly over the last decade? Um, so if underlying growth of bilateral trade and investment uh, between the two re regions continues, uh, Emerging Asia will become the biggest trading partner uh, for the GCC by 2030. Um, mm -hmm. So Gulf trade increased by 36% in the decade before the pandemic and will be approximately about uh, US, could we work in US dollars, 480 billion by 2030. So yep. exceeding the trade uh, with advanced economies uh, for the first time. Uh, what role can the family office play in this? Well, I guess, again, it's, it's uh, what roles can the private sector, the, the families play in keeping this, these numbers progressing? Well, as I said, it's, the, the private sector can be a support layer for certain initiatives. I mean, I think the whole world right now is talking about climate change, renewables. Uh, COP26 is, is, is an important factor from that. Um, a lot of Asia, um, the emerging markets of Asia, are, are looking at renewable technologies, clean technologies, um, because they have lots of waste. Um, and dealing with waste, it's, a, it's kind of like a free substance you can put into a machine, any type of waste, and, and you can now actually make money out of it because there's a demand for that, that waste product. Now, my point is, is the, the families, I mean, where they play an intellectual really position in a lot of these initiatives is, again, they will be the ones backing the early companies. They'll be the ones backing these logistics businesses. Let's say if I'm an agriculture company, I need to buy more vessels. Uh, I need to actually buy a new refinery to crush soybeans. Um, because I've got a huge amount of demand, but I need uh, more capital. 
I mean, some of these businesses are not big enough to approach banks or sovereigns or, or, or government fund. So the key part in what the families will play here is being that available risk capital for some of these younger businesses. So it allows some of these more, let's say, middle market entrepreneurial businesses to establish themselves. And then, as I said, allow this trade to, to continue, to innovate and to grow because trade and, and, and dollars only increase through innovation, um, risk-taking is, is obviously a huge factor to that. Um, so yes, I, I believe it will continue. Um, I think the, the, the kind of the, the, the Southwest, Southeast corner of Asia and, and the Middle East are going to be a huge, huge logistics hub for the rest of the uh, well for the rest of the time I'm on, I'm on this planet. Um, and it's only increasing. I mean, I think every plane from Asia stops off in Dubai um, as a destination for, yes, logistics and also for tourism. So there's a strong connection here. And um, you know the geopolitics between uh, parts of uh, Asia and, and the US. And, and a lot of people also see this as a bit of a, a passport into international markets for, again, both trade and yeah, just business, pure business. So again, hopefully that signifies your uh, and uh, answers your question a little bit. Yeah. Okay, Obadiah. So my second part to that question is that um, we talked about the role of family office in in this, and you also mentioned uh, sovereign wealth, and then you also mentioned. Um, so is there a difference between a state sovereign wealth, sovereign wealth, and uh, the relationship between family offices? Do they interconnect with each other? Does one follow the other? Yeah, very good question. Um, so think of it this way. We have very prominent sovereign wealth funds. We have three of the top 10 in the world sovereign wealth funds based in just the UAE, actually, we have ICD, which is the Investment Corporation of Dubai, which is around 300 billion worth of assets. You have Mubadala, which is about 260 or 270 billion. And then you have Adia, which is about 800 and something billion. Now, there are smaller ones. You have another one called ADQ and now a brand new one um, as well, just opened up. So my point is, is these are state owned and I guess the, the difference, again, with the Middle East is because we have a, a, a ruler, a ruling family, you can somewhat say that these sovereigns are directed by a family. But personally, they are their own entity. Um, they are large conglomerates that typically are very big transactions. So, again, the families can use a lot of these sovereigns for co-underwriting, co-investment, yes. The sovereigns normally will come in at a later stage. Um, the fact It's up to the families to get businesses to a certain size for the sovereigns then to come in. So at least they know when businesses get to a certain size that the sovereigns are there to support. So as I said, the for most people entering this market, I think that the same people run around town and they meet with some of these big sovereigns, but they're just far too small. The point is, is um, 
it's it's important to look at kind of the infrastructure here look at the local families look at the venture capital market look at the private holdings and then if you believe you're big enough or if you've actually started a journey here and you've you've established a business you've you've got some products moving then move on to the sovereigns i think too many people come here they get disappointed because they go straight to the biggest name in town which is yes the some of the companies i've just mentioned and then they go home with with empty hands so it's it's a progress um but yes the the, the sovereigns because they manage so much money you can imagine the whole world is messaging everybody on linkedin who works there um and they're all asking them questions um but what i can just tell everybody that they are very big they look at 200 300 400 million dollar transactions at a time um so you just have to you have to be wary of your time but in terms of the relationship and how they work together they work closely the families and the sovereigns work closely and if you get an investment from a family nine times out of ten they'll have a very good relationship with one of the sovereigns so again it's just another stepping stone for any business to kind of get their foot in the door here find a local partner and then the let's say that the corporates, the sovereigns, the government funds will then open up in a future date. Right. Thank you very much for that explanation, actually, um, Obidine. It's really good uh, to see the interlinking between the two. So really, it first starts with the family offices and, and actually they will have a relationship with the sovereign uh, wealth. Uh, uh, fund and, and actually there's another level which is the state sovereign so it's really important to uh, understand uh, before um, approaching um, any any group uh, which one to go to uh, because they all have different strategies and criteria uh, in terms of investing so Obadiah, my next, my third question to you, um, going, we could jump back a little bit here because the trade um, routes uh, that have existed between the Middle East and Asia has, has been uh, for over about 2000 years. That's what my research says. Uh, with the Middle East um, was one of the originators uh, in terms of trade of the Silk Road. Now, we know that in the 21st century, uh, the Gulf regions have expanded, haven't they, through the oil and gas industry. So they're exporting the oil and gas, uh, especially to the Asian countries. And the East Asia became global manufacturers. So a lot of their products and goods and services, you could see that in the West, uh, and uh, all over the world. So with increasing trade and investment, including uh, things like energy technology and infrastructure uh, uh, taking, being ramped up, um, Asia's relationships or ties with um, uh, the uh, Middle East is, is ever deepening. My question to you, the Middle East is deepening its economic ties uh, with especially the emerging Asian market, as well as a very traditional, uh, strong relationship with the West. What role do you think the UAE, uh, the GCC, plays in strategically hedging between the East and West 
with the growing commercial opportunities emerging in the emerging Asia market? Yeah, very good question. I think it's, um, hmm, I don't want to have to be careful because you don't want to do a podcast about geopolitics, but it's, I guess the relationship is, is, is going to be twofold. I mean, I think the Middle East plays a strong part because it does have a relationship, a different relationship with Asia than it does uh, with the US and vice versa. So as I said, it kind of, it's acting as a bit of a hub for the relationship between both continents and also a proxy. So for, for I've had probably since the start of 2021, I've had a bunch of uh, Chinese venture capital funds, private equity funds reach out to me and say that they're setting up a US dollar uh, fund, which is for the first time they've ever done that, but they're not running to the US to raise money. They're coming to the Middle East. Why? Because we are seen as a proxy and a hub where US capital is here, European capital here, Singapore capital is here. So it's, it's not a huge liquid market. No, we're not Wall Street and New York, but we are a big business hub now. And we do act as a certain communication from both uh, east to west. Now that's on the private sector. On the public sector, we are a very neutral state. Um, we are in quite a in different part of the world where yes, there's a lot of geopoliticals around us, but the GCC as a whole, has a very stable public sector framework and voice. So for us, I would say we, in terms of trade, we're gonna to continue to have, be pioneers. Um, I think we have a strong image now in the renewable sector, pivoting away from oil and gas revenue. We're not solely reliant on what we like to call dinosaur blood, which is the oil that, that we, we get out the ground. We are looking into the hydrogen space, uh, any type of renewable energy. Um, and again, we wanna be known for that. So whatever technologies Asia is adopting, uh, you've seen with the Expo, we're showcasing that here for when the West comes here, they will see those technologies. And we're softly becoming a bit of a bridge, a communication area for both East and West to have a better relationship. Because um, Sophie, you know, as well as I do, Asia and uh, let's say the US being the West haven't always had seen eye to eye, but when you have a, uh, a state, a country um, and a corporation that is trying to gather more trade relationships, uh, private sector transactions, as I said, only good things can happen. So I'm all I'm gonna say is you're gonna see more of Asia using this as a proxy to have communication with Europe or the US being the West. Um, and that will overall increase trade, uh, open up new, let's say, tax incentive routes um, and open up new doors that they'd never seen before. Um, and obviously that's where the, I call Dubai a big giant facility. Uh, it's going to be a facility for the rest of its life for tourism, trade um, and many other things. I, I think you made a, a very good point, open to I. I mean, this podcast really focuses on, on the business side, even though there is 
uh, some political side and I'm, I'm, I'm not a politician and I'm not really interested in politics. I'm really just interested in what happens um, in the markets. Um, and I suppose that, that question almost leads me to, to my, my fifth question with you, is that there has been a shift in the GCC Sovereign Wealth Fund uh, interest in emerging Asia. Uh, but research has, has shown it excludes advanced Asian economies such as Japan, Singapore, South Korea, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Australia and New Zealand. So it's, it's really focusing on um, the emerging Asia uh, sector. Now, the second part of this is Indonesia. And I know you spoke about Indonesia before. Uh, so Indonesia state sovereign wealth. So it's not just the sovereign wealth, it's a state sovereign wealth fund uh, entered into a corporation with UAE, which allows funds from UAE to invest in high yielding financial products, which is the outward investment. I think you touched upon that before, um, where you talked about Indonesia. Um, so I just really wanted to know if you could just uh, elaborate a little bit on that part of it. Yeah, as, as I said, so so of news came out this week about this ginormous relationship between Indonesia and the UAE. Now, a lot of that is around public sector initiatives, you know, the standard, um, uh, I would say, medical infrastructure, ports, um, I told you, smart city. And it's just going to be a back and forth relationship in terms of the allowing them to have access from that to, to, to yielding products. Um, I, I, I'm guessing that's a, a relationship that they may have with the public markets there, but they, they, their aim is to triple a two way trade for the next four years. That's their goal, which is, I mean, that's a lot, right? Um, but that's their goal. Um, and they've signed a bunch of different deals. Um, I think their, their current relationship as of 2020 was 2.5 billion, and they're looking to get that up to now late 30s, 40 billion. Um, DP World signed a 7.5 billion deal um, with which DP World is our port um, with uh, the Indonesian port. So as I said, I think if you break it down, um, it falls into a few different segments. Um, but a lot of it will be around the exchanging of goods, ideas, technologies, um, and so on and so on. Uh, I, I probably need to do a bit more research in terms of the, I, I, I know what you said about the yielding um, part, but uh, yeah, the actual value is uh, 32.7 billion. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I've been doing my research also, OBDI into this, and um, I mean, and and you're right. I mean, I, I just found this out, so I thought I'd uh, kind of like throw in that question uh, to you uh, because it to me was interesting because you know uh, the Indonesian state sovereign wealth. You know, I think it's for the first time it enters into cooperation with the UAE. And it was quite specific because it says which allows funds from the UAE to invest in high yeah, it's kind of like a, a foreign direct so investment. It's like they've allowed a certain yeah. incentive for investment to come in, 
and they have exclusive access to some of the best yielding products, infrastructure. So they're giving them like an exclusivity to pretty much say, if you bring a lot of money, uh, we'll allow you to have a piece of our prized asset, which is a, I don't know, a, a new airport or a, a brand new toll bridge. I don't know, some part of infrastructure that they don't normally allow people. Yeah, I mean, and, and also, you know, in the same breath of that, I mean, that to me, that's outward investment, on, unless I got it wrong, but the inward investment part of that, to me, again, goes on to the Gulf States economic diversification strategy, um, which goes back to my first question when I spoke to you about how uh, especially the UAE has diversified its economy, hasn't it, uh, to about 70 to 75% away from oil and gas. Um, so they are encouraged to invest in, uh, especially in uh, emerging Asia and especially into the new sectors. So there's going to be, there is activity there and that's only going to increase. Hmm. Sorry, was um, so. The, yeah, sorry. Please, like, go on to the question. I'm just trying to think if there was a question out of that. Well, my question to you, actually, um, that the GCC uh, economies um, represents a significantly. It's all to me. It's about um, the export market, um, and I I was doing some research which I found quite fascinating. Uh, for me, uh, because um, the GCCE economies in Asia have a very significant large export market. Um, and what, what I found in my research actually uh, is Qatar exports to Asia 82% of total exports. Uh, Omar is 76%. Uh, mm -hmm. Saudi Arabia is 64%, Kuwait is 61%, the UAE, I know where you're located, is 41%, um, and Bahrain is 25%. Now, the vast majority of that relates to oil and gas, because as you know, especially China, is not does not have oil and gas reserves, it has coal. So that relationship has been ongoing and is ever going to increase. So there are, and, and what was interesting, what I found out actually, um, the GCC is less dependent on Asia for imports. So they're exporting quite a lot uh, to Asia, but their imports come both from East and West. Um, and that was, that was quite interesting, okay, because there's a diversification there in terms of its imports. So it's not just relying on uh, whether it's the advanced Asia market or the emerging Asia market for its imports. But that relationship can change, can't it? Indeed. Um, it's, um, yeah, it's... Uh... I, as I said, I'm not really an expert in the trade kind of area because that's quite government involved here. Um, yes. But it, as I said, in, in terms of, I mean, the <clears throat> coming from the private sector, 
the tr- more trade is better for us um, because it allows more service providers, uh, smaller companies. If it's logistics business in the, I don't know, the artificial intelligence or the blockchain sector, if it's um, B2B platform, SaaS, uh, any type of service provider, all these trade routes also open up opportunities for more of our private companies, smaller companies to service these relationships. So as I said, we like to see these, all these types of imports, exports, because if you're looking at, let's say food, for example, the food security sector is, is ginormous. I mean, we have a ministry of food security here um, that is trying to improve the food sector. Yes, we have our own decentralized uh, vertical farms. Um, yes, we are trying to find better relationships with other types of suppliers, more efficient, uh, healthier food, all these types of things. So I think when, when it comes to trade, I'm not an expert. I, I'll put my hands up and say I, I'm not because that's a lot to do with government. Um, but what I can say is the more these relationships progress, I mean, if I, especially me now knowing that nearly 40 billion has been agreed with Indonesia, the first thing I'm going to do is get my team to have a look at what type of, if any of our companies can, can help service um, some of those relationships, may it be in the smart city segment, may it be in the ports, because that is a lot of money um, and they're looking to increase capacity and to increase capacity, you need more help. Um, you need more security, you need more infrastructure, you need better software. So that's how we see it. Um, from the private sector that's how we see the opportunity ahead is more these trades open up many different kind of angles for us to be not vultures as such well yes vultures where we can pick off uh, certain areas where we can we can either charge a fee or provide a service yeah i think open to what i like why i like really talking with you is that you break things down you know, so I'm talking about trade in terms of, but trade actually is not just about trade. It's about all the opportunities that are available from trade. You have infrastructure, you have services, you have food, you have beverages, you have hotels. You know, if you go into the taxis, you've got the hotels, you've got the restaurants, you know, there's, a, there's an array of opportunities there for, for, for businesses, isn't it? And that's what I mean when I'm talking about trade and I'm talking about volumes here. I'm just talking about the opportunities that are available for many, many businesses, um, and especially if things are going to be increasing. As I said, it's... Um, it's, uh, it's I see the potential. Um, there's lots of there's lots of good press going on at the moment. Um, I think the, the the GCC is especially looking at Dubai. I'm I'm currently situated here. I mean, this place is full. Um, it has lots of dollars to spend because hospitality is through the roof. Nearly every hotel's full, which is, and Dubai is probably going to post their their best year ever in terms of hospitality. So as I said, it's it's the more we see planes go up in the air. Um, the more we see these public sector initiatives happen, I think for us, there's, there's, there's going to be lots and lots and lots to do with, uh, as I said, kind of the emerging parts of, of Asia. 
and also we're becoming a bit of a technology hub so we, we want to service that market as well uh, help it grow um, because it's also a big consumer market or will be a consumer market somewhere down the line where they can actually afford some of the products and services that the western world provide Okay, well, Obi Dive, we've only got a couple of about, about five minutes left, and I really just want to finish off really uh, this introduction with you uh, to say that the, the, the Gulf um, is searching for new investment, okay, um, it, uh, uh, between the East, which is the Middle East, and, and emerging uh, Asia markets, and, and ties are going to be growing in sectors beyond the energy commodities and you know you've touched upon areas like renewable energies infrastructure construction technology renewable energy with inward and outward investments uh, growing in both regions what I'd like to do uh, in our next podcast series with uh, Obidai is to look at uh, these emerging relationships in detail. Um, so looking at things like um, the, the, the various opportunities uh, that are going to be available uh, once these um, economic ties are going to be increasing as time goes on, uh, the strategic objectives of, of this so you know we're going to be looking at these strategic objectives uh, the global drivers because I think those things are really important you know I think Obidai touched upon right at the very beginning is that you have many different layers uh, of the UAE and the GCCE and we haven't even touched upon in today's podcast uh, about China's relationship um, with the UAE and how uh, and the GCCE and how that is growing exponentially. So Obadiah, I would like to invite you back um, to do a next podcast with me uh, to talk about these areas. Absolutely, yeah, pleasure to. As I said, it's for me, it's um, there's a lot of growing interest. Uh, the, the Dubai Chamber of Commerce is, I have a good relationship and they're based in China. Um, so there's lots of there's lots of new relationships opening up. I mean, it's all over the internet. Uh, a lot of people can follow it. And as I said, I'd I'd, I'd be happy to continue this conversation because I think it's valuable for me and anybody else listening um, because it's just something that's increasing. And when something increasing, it's uh, we all need to be aware of it because everybody's in the business world and they want to see new opportunities and sniff new areas where they can go and make themselves some money or be be valuable. So yes, absolutely. Look forward to the next one. Lovely. Thank you very much, Obi Dye.